your issue of controversy, you can't shy away from controversy. I've always said good leaders are not afraid to take on the, the tough or unpopular issue. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I am your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome back to Improv is No Joke podcast, episode number one, numero uno. Thank you very much for tuning in today. I greatly appreciate it. I am very honored today to be interviewing one of my mentors and an all-around great guy, Clark Price, on the topic of leadership. But before I get to Clark's background and interview, let's take care of some quick housekeeping items. First, I hope you're enjoying my podcast, and I'd greatly appreciate it if you'd write a review on iTunes. I thank you for your support. Also, if you've not signed up for the Yes and Challenge, Please go to my website, petermargaritas.com, and scroll down to the Yes and Challenge. Click to register to begin this journey of transformation. And remember to share your experiences on Twitter using the hashtag YesAndChallenge or on the Accidental Accountant's Facebook page. I would like to share with you an article I found that relates to improvisation. This week's article was published in Harvard Business Review titled, Three Improv Exercises That Can Change the Way Your Team Works by Tom Yorton, CEO of Second City Works. Tom writes, Improvisation and the Improv Toolkit offers great grounding for leaders challenged to thrive in a business climate that demands agility, resilience, quick thinking, and the ease of ambiguity. Counterintuitive as it might seem, business is often an act of improvisation not planning. So we say, lights up on the ear of the leader as the improviser. I will post a link in the show notes where you can download this article. Now let's talk about my guest. Clark Price completed a 40-year career with the Ohio Society of CPAs, including 22 years as president and CEO of this progressive, nationally recognized association serving certified public accountants. Before being named CEO, Clark worked in virtually all areas of the operation, including public relations, membership development, governmental relations, and marketing. The Ohio Society CPA's record of innovative leadership was recognized by the American Society of Association Executives when the Ohio Society CPAs was selected as one of the nine remarkable associations as part of an extensive nationwide study of successful associations. Working with good to great author Jim Collins, the American Society of Association Execs publication, Seven Measures of Success, What Remarkable Associations Do That Others Don't, featured the Ohio Society CPAs as the only state-based membership organization profiled in the Seven Measure Study. Clark believes in the power and community benefit of not-for-profit organizations. 
During 2008 and 2009, he served as chairman of the American Society of Associations X Board of Directors. Clark's prior involvement in the American Society of Associations X included chairmanship of the Association Political Action Committee and the ASAE Education Committee. He also served a three-year term as a member of the American Society of Associations Executives Board of Directors and is the founding member of ASAE's CEO Center. In 1998, Clark was selected as an ASAE Fellow, an honor that has been conferred upon fewer than 1% of ASAE members. With 23,000 members, ASAE is the premier organization serving the association management community in the United States. He continues to be an active volunteer for ASAE. Clark's work on behalf of the accounting profession and the scope of his influence was recognized by Accounting Today, which named him one of the 100 most influential people in the accounting profession on 10 occasions. He was also selected as a technology superstar by Accounting Technology Magazine. He is the past chair of both AICPA's Accountants Legal Liability Committee and the Accounting Careers Committee. The AICPA presented its Distinguished Service Award to Clark for his work organizing and his chairmanship of the boards of the State Society Network, Inc. and Shared Services, LLC, organizations that sought to unite the State CPA Association and the ASE by sharing common functions and operations. Before joining the Ohio Society CPAs, Clark was an account executive in a New Jersey-based advertising agency where he served clients in the resort and sporting goods industry. He's a veteran of the United States Army where he served as public information specialist for the First Army in New York City. Clark received his bachelor's degree in business administration from Franklin University in December of 1969. He currently serves as a member of the Franklin University Board of Trustees and is the chairman of the Audit, Controls, and Compliance Committee. Since retiring, Clark was invited to become a founder of the Ross Leadership Institute. He currently consults with the Association on Leadership Development Strategies, Government Issues, and strategic planning. So, without further ado, let's get to the interview with Clark. Clark, thank you so very much for taking time out of your schedule. Uh, I greatly appreciate you spending time with me on my uh, podcast, and I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Me too. It's going to be fun. Uh, we've been friends for a very long time, or through a lot of different iterations, uh, and I'm looking forward to this too, Pete. Uh, that's great. Thank you. Uh, why don't you give my audience uh, a little bit about who Clark Price is, a little yeah. bit about your background. Who Clark Price <laughs> is. Well, for now, Clark Price is retired. You know, I've been retired for almost three and a half years. Uh, my career before that was essentially in the association not-for-profit environment. I worked for the Ohio Society of CPAs for 30 years, uh, 22 of them as the CEO, uh, before that, I was a PR guy. Uh, I began my career uh, with an advertising agency that specialized in resorts and sporting good accounts. Uh, wonderful way to make that transition from college into the real world. Uh, and then uh, Uncle Sam called. I was drafted. I was very fortunate. There was a shooting war going on in Vietnam, and I spent my time uh, in New York City doing public relations for the First Army. Uh, 
Uh, so my, my career was PR. I joined the staff at the Ohio Society as their first public relations director, um, but very quickly ended up being PR was just part and parcel of my career. Uh, and I really focused on what it's like to, to be management uh, in the association environment where you're working with members, you're working with volunteers. It's not like you're selling a particular product or service. And it was a great career. I, I love my time with the Ohio Society of CPAs uh, almost as I, much as I love being retired. <laughs> and if uh, my memory serves me correctly, you have a nice uh, retirement home in Tennessee that's on a lake that you have a pontoon boat and you and your wife and Charlie, uh, and Charlie is the family dog, spent a lot of time relaxing uh, at your lake house in Tennessee. Yeah, it's great. We really do like it down there. We divide our time between Columbus and Tennessee, uh, primarily in two and three week segments. Uh, Charlie rules the roost regardless of where we are. Uh, the other positive of Tennessee is I'm less than a mile from the golf club. So that's uh, a nice part of that that life as well. <laughs> well, you should get out and play a lot more golf. You, you well earned it and deserve it. Uh, the conversation today is around the concept of leadership. And I guess my first question or first you know, thought is leadership. I mean, you've been in the not-for-profit world, association world for a long time. What are the characteristics? Where does leadership in that type of environment differ itself from uh, leadership at a at a major corporation? The biggest thing is around the concept of building consensus uh, in a volunteer organization, like an association, like any not for profit organization. Uh, you spend your time as the leader, really trying to build consensus. Certainly there are some issues where you have a strong individual leader uh, and you have to adapt that, that mindset or persona. But a large part of where I spent my time uh, as a volunteer uh, leader was building consensus among the organization, particularly if you're talking about having to head down different roads for the organization, uh, enter new areas or lines of service. Uh, some of those, it's you snap your fingers and you do it. But an awful lot of them, you have to build support among the people uh, where you're a leader in an organization, a manager in an organization, very often you're able to say, I've decided we're turning left here. And everybody that works for you dutifully says, okay, we're going to turn left here. There'll be some grumbling at the back of the room, but by and large, they turn left. Where you're leading a very diverse group of strong-minded individuals um, who are volunteers in the case of an association or paying dues in the case of any of the, what I'll call a disease and body part organizations, it's people that volunteer in them. You can't simply say we're going to turn left. So the role of the leader is to explain why turning left is the right thing to do where everybody's comfortable going straight or at this intersection, always turning right. Well, why is turning left the right thing to do? Uh, and that takes powers of persuasion. It takes building the good business case. Uh, it takes having the, the ability to say life's going to be better if we turn left. The organization will be stronger if we turn left. 
And yes, there's unknowns if we turn left, but we have the capacity and capability to surmount whatever challenges are down the road uh, as we make this left-hand turn. So as a leader, that's where you spend your time. Uh, other things in the volunteer environment that, that really are difficult um, or challenging for the individual who's in the leadership role um, is I always said that our staff and me as the leader, uh, I'm paid to think about the organization and where we're going 24 hours a day. The volunteer leader may only think about the organization and where it's going the two, three, four, eight hours that they're together for a meeting. If they're really strong, maybe they think about think about it while they're driving to or driving from the meeting. And if they're exceptional, they may actually do something between meetings of the committee or board or whatever it is. But the volunteer generally is not as focused on, you know, what is the, the role, purpose, direction of entity X, mm-hmm. whereas the staff and particularly the, the CEO or those in management, their jobs think about it all the time. When you when you said that, I, I can still remember when we were first building our our, our relationship. I was getting, we were getting to know each other. I was doing some work for the Columbus chapter at the time, and I remember emailing you. I think something like at one o'clock in the morning, and just as I was about to, you responded right back, and I just went, "He hasn't stopped working." Uh, and to you, it was, it was very much twenty four seven. But there was something else that, that you. As you were describing that, I, I hear there's a lot of building relationship through this process as as a leader. That's probably one of the strongest qualities. You gripped and grinned. You were out there meeting the membership um, and, and building those relationships because when you would have to take the organization in a different direction, sometimes a little controversial at times, it was right. It was in the right direction, but you had to have support in doing that, and you had to have the trust in your in your organization, in your membership, to allow you to take those risks. Because without taking risks, we're not going to, yes, failure's a possibility uh, in anything with the unknown. But if we stand still without taking risks to try to grow, become better, then we could disappear. The relationship part, and particularly in the association and not for profit environment is absolutely critical. The people um, have to know you, they have to see you, they have to trust you. Um, I might go so far as to say it's a whole lot easier if they like you, um, but they don't always like you. And you can't, I feel leaders can't be effective if if their focus is on how do I get everybody to like me? Mm -hmm. Or if I take this step, people aren't going to like me. That's disastrous. You you do have to have the courage of your convictions, um, and the dis- once a decision's made, be ready to go full bore after making it happen. But yes, relationship uh, component of it is ultimately critical uh, in that environment for success. Now, having said that, your issue of controversy, you can't shy away from controversy. I've always said good leaders are not afraid to take on the the tough or unpopular issue. That's where the relationships do pay off. But to be able to to articulate to whatever constituency um, 
yes, this is controversial, but here's why we have to do it, or here's why it's the right thing to do, uh, really is is part and parcel, of, I think, of being an effective leader. I, I like what you, what you said there, that you don't have to have everybody to like you, but there's a piece there that's even bigger. They don't have to like you, but they have to have respect for you, and you have to have respect for them leads us down that path. And I think the membership and the staff um, in Ohio, and as well as nationally, has had that great respect for you that, I mean, you've challenged a lot uh, at the Ohio Society level, at the AICPA level. Uh, but it was that level of respect. People may not have liked you, but they had respect for what, you're, what you were saying, which I think is one of the key components in any type of leadership, is having the respect of the people around you as that as that strong leader. What you what I always wanted was the ability to be heard. More important than anything else was the the ability to be heard when there was an issue to talk about. Whether it was with the state society, whether it was with AICPA, uh, whether it was in my involvement in the American Society of Association Executives, knowing that you build up the credibility, right. you build up the respect that when you rise to speak, people will say, I need to listen to what he's going to say. I may not like it. I may disagree. Let's, let's hear him out so to speak, and particularly with the controversial issues, what you really wanted was the ability to make the case and then engage the debate and dialogue, manage the anger, uh, dispel <laughs> misperceptions, and talk about the issues. Yeah, there were some controversial things uh, that we dealt with uh, in the Ohio society that were, yeah, as the leader, were a lot of fun. You heard me, Pete. I used to say I love a good fist fight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's get people that are mad. Let's get them in a room. Let's talk about it and, and let them vent. And they may walk out still mad, but let's at least be able to have a conversation about the issues. Uh, and, and that spans all sorts of things. We dealt with that with the American Institute of CPAs and the Coalition of State CPA Organizations. Um you know, when I went into the chairs at the American Society of Association Executives, we were dealing with a very controversial issue uh, of, um, let's call it a merger of two associations uh, that some people thought just made absolute sense. I was in that corner. Others were the, hell no, we're not going to go. Uh, it's turned out to have been a great move for the organization and the community who serves associations throughout the United States. But getting there was not without controversy. Getting there was not without anger. Uh, but the ability of the leaders, and not just me as going through the chairs, but an assembly of leaders to be able to be heard, to be able to talk about the issues and why this made sense, why we end up with a better organization, better serving its members. Um, that's where leaders step up and, and are willing to take that heat. The, the willingness of the leader and, and across any organization, and even if it's the, in the more traditional management sense, to be able to speak strongly, convincingly, and tell a story 
and respond to questions and not duck issues is, I think, one of the keys to effective leadership. You know, we there's a lot of the, the dynamic leader out there um, that, you know, just, ooh, I want to see him. Oh, boy, I'd love to be working with him or with her. Um, the day-to-day leaders, the people that are getting things done, uh, they're the ones that I, I think really make a difference for organizations and make a difference. Uh, in the United States, it's uh, the willingness to say, yeah, I'll take on the tough issue is fun. Yeah, not a lot of people uh, would jump to that, to take on the tough issue. That's where mm-hmm. the rubber hits the road. But this ability to be heard, that that doesn't happen overnight. But this ability to be heard, as and within that, the ability to tell a story around that is a big part of making that impact. That you mentioned earlier about persuasion, the ability to persuade, we find it, Leaders find it much easier to persuade if they can build it around a story versus around just cold, hard facts. Absolutely. I mean, I've always felt that the ability to tell a story was was critical. And I don't care what it is. And going back to my time when I was working with the ad agency and talking to a client about how we're going to sell their product, telling that story, creating this visual image of what it's going to be like. Uh, is a critical component of success in managing people where you're going to make that left-hand turn, telling the, the, the people what it's going to be like, why it's better, how we're going to do things differently, how jobs will change, how we're going to make a, the, the organizations stronger. You know, that's a critical component of being an effective leader, telling that story, creating the visual image for people, particularly where you're talking about change, uh, creating that visual image for people of why it's going to be better. Uh, the, the organizational leader that reports to a board as you're talking about an, an issue. And it can be anything from we want to go a different way towards being able to, to, to explain you know, why this budget is not unrealistic. Part of that is you paint a visual picture of how we're going to grow this component of the business that's going to bring more money in the door or how growing this component of the business is going to elevate expenses. Not just saying it's going to happen and, Hope you believe me. Right. But being able to sell why. And leadership in many respects is selling. Oh, I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah. And a lot of people are reluctant to head down that road. I have former colleagues that I have great respect for who wanted to be the one telling the story in good times. Hmm. But in bad times, they were looking to somebody else to tell a story. Not that they were passing the buck. They just didn't want that that tarnish to rub off on them. Um, and to me, that's not effective leadership. You own everything as the leader, right? You've got to jump. You have to jump on the sword when you have to jump on the sword. Absolutely, you have to take the arrows along with the roses that come your way. Yeah, leadership, and <laughs> we we've had this conversation before. Um, leadership isn't for everybody. No. How many people have wanted to rise to the next level of management and get there and find this isn't fun? Right. 
I'm having to work too hard. I'm, you know, I've got to make tough decisions. I have to fire people, what, whatever. Um, you have to aspire to want to do different things, not because you're going to get paid more. Of course, that's always a side <laughs> benefit. But what, what is that aspiration that you're pursuing is you're, you're looking for more responsibility. And as you then I'll transition back to the volunteer envir- environment, the not for profit environment, uh, as you volunteer to work on committees. Um, and that's normally the entry point. If your attorney and you're a member of the Bar Association and you want to volunteer, uh, you join a committee. Okay, what does that mean? Well, you've got work you have to do. And as you do a good job, hopefully you'll rise through the ranks and maybe you become chairman. And after you're chairman of a committee, uh, maybe you get assigned to another committee or some special high-profile task force. And you do a good job and you rise to leadership in the organization. Maybe you get invited to join the board. You know, there's mm-hmm. all sorts of things that, that happen. But that entire path to leadership in a volunteer environment is predicated upon you work, you you do a good job or what mm-hmm. we'll reasonably call right. a, a good job, but you demonstrate the, the ability to get people to listen to you. Going back to where we were earlier, you rise through the organization, not just by the work you do, but what you have to say. You know, people who sit in a room and, and only open their mouth to say, here at roll call and stuff a sandwich in it at noon, <laughs> they're not going to go anywhere. No, it's when you talk you know, and express opinions, raise concerns, do it construct. I always feel do it constructively. <laughs> uh, not everybody does that, and that's not always the route to success. But leaders really want to take on more. As you look at any of the leaders in the environment, you know you you see some who uh, they're really after. Um, is the visibility of the microphone or the camera being shoved in their face. You have others that what they want is peer-based recognition. Uh, others that it, that's industry sort of recognition. Um, and, and for others, it's simply the, the pride of, I volunteered, I did a good job, I rose, I made a difference. And I think as you look at really good leaders, uh, as they reflect back, it's they want to look at what difference did I make? I, I as you're talking, I just who is your favorite leader? Ah, uh, wow, that is an interesting question. I can divide it in any number of examples. Um, my favorite leader is non-traditional. At least the people who know me might say it's non-traditional. Um, is Tom Donahue, who's the CEO of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Okay. And because he is a guy who has a great ability to, ta- to paint a picture, um. You know when he's angry, and you like it. Totally turned over the 
Chamber of Commerce in terms of what it did. Some people may say the Chamber of Commerce is, is as a political force, um, abuses its power. Others will say, wow, they are effective. Um, but having worked with Tom on a variety of committees, my view of him as a leader was he didn't shy away from anything, whether it was a fight on Capitol Hill or with regulators, uh, whether it was saying we're going to take the chamber down a different road. He was had the strength of his convictions to stand up there and tell a story uh, and be convincing. Now, I'm one committee I was on, a very large committee. Um, there'd be probably 10% of the, the committee that would, at the end of the day, just be mad as can be about what he was doing and where they were going. There's another component much larger than that 10%. And this committee was 100 people wow. that were totally on board, carrying the flag, ready to go. And the rest, which may have made up the majority, were convinced and supportive. They were just not going to carry the flag and, and go. But Tom was, is, he's still at the chamber, is a very strong leader. Uh, built around very strong persona. Um, some instances I disagreed with his style where it was a little bit too much I'm taking on the world. Uh, but boy, talk about somebody who could really fire up the masses. He did a great job. I see a lot of parallels in that story uh, as it relates to your leadership style. I mean, you, you were not afraid to take on a fight um, and had great respect from the people around. And like I said, not everybody liked you, but they, they had respect for you. Let's take it down a, 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 a different path. Let's talk about innovation. I, you know, I, uh, two years ago, I think it was in Fast Company, there was a, a, about creativity. And they said, one of the surveys said 73% of leaders said that creativity is the number one skill set needed today. However, only 23% of them were able to do anything with it. And, and when, I, when I look at innovation, I, I try to separate creativity and innovation into two buckets. Creativity is idea generation without censoring. Innovation is effectively applied creativity where then we will bring in our the critic and say, can we do this? Do we have the resources? So innovation and managing people from a, a, a leadership perspective, leadership style. Two components to that immediately come to mind for me. The first one is um, the leader who I have the idea. You know, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And it may have come from discussion with people, maybe something they read, but I have the idea. I am convinced this is the right thing to do. And where you're managing people, we're going to do it. Years ago, when we implemented um, a telecommuting program, it came as a result of on a flight to California, I'm reading the, I guess it was TWA in-flight magazine, <laughs> Uh, and there was a story about an advertising agency based in California that had implemented an office-wide telecommuting program. And as I read the story and the examples that they used, my mind went to this could work for the, for the Ohio Society of CPAs. And that's one where I came back and said, 
we're going to do this. I had a discussion with my management team of, I really like this idea. And while it was effectively an open-ended discussion, everybody knew, uh, if they had any common sense at all, they knew that I can say this isn't a good idea, but he's going to do it anyway. Because mm-hmm. I it was an experiment. And we assembled a a work group that was our pilot. We ended up implementing it um, office-wide. I had department heads who did not like it, worked their hardest to not make it work for their people. Uh, We had some interesting counseling sessions out of that. But it was something that made sense in terms of being attractive to staff. And I'm saying we're doing this in the early 90s. Right. So that we were on the leading edge of this notion of telecommuting. Um, I'm still a strong believer in it. I think it's entirely feasible for almost any organization, even more so today with what technology enables organizations to do. But that's one where there's the I have an idea and we're going to do it going down that road. The corollary to that is not the I have the idea, but it bubbles up somewhat organically inside the organization. And that's where leadership really becomes critical. How do you empower people to be the ones who are saying, I have an idea? Right. And all too often in organizations, I've observed that that's the component that's missing, that I really have strong staff. I don't necessarily have faith in them faith. And that's where I am the only one that can possibly have the newer, good, or innovative idea. Whereas if if you have faith in your staff and create a culture as the leader, you create a culture where people feel free to express ideas. And not just the, I have an idea for something new, the, I have an idea for something we should stop doing. I have an idea for um, a product line we should discontinue because nobody's buying it. Yeah, you know, all sorts of things along those lines. But you build a culture among your people where they have a, the the confidence uh, of their own ideas, the faith that you will support them or at least listen. At least listen doesn't mean you're going to say, "Yeah, what a great idea! We're going to do it." What you're going to end up saying for some of them is, wow, interesting idea. We have to study that more Um, or interesting idea. But boy, I just don't see that being feasible for us. Uh, And those are the tougher conversations to have. But but leaders really do look for opportunities to to be creative, to be innovative, uh, to go down that different road and make the left turn. Not always popular, not easy to do. I, I think that this notion um, of good good leaders, strong leaders have great ideas. Yeah, they have great ideas. They also have a lot of really bad ideas. Uh, but they have the ability to self-censor to mm-hmm. a degree. Yes. Uh, I've got to... St- I've said this, I say this in my creativity course, when we're, doing, when we're going through an idea generation period, and we've built a culture that we all have faith in each other that nothing's going to come back and bite us. Bad ideas lead to good ideas. No ideas lead to nothing. That's a great, great description because it's absolutely true. Yeah. 
Um, I was doing a workshop in, uh, for a company in Maryland, and they brought their leadership, emerging leaders from the U.S., emerging leaders from Latin America. And we were going through this brainstorming session, how to increase profitability. So all these ideas are coming out. And one gentleman from Latin America goes, I've got an idea. This is how we're going to increase profitability. We are going to kill all of our competition salespeople. <laughs> <laughs> and we all roared. It, 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 and that's, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, guys. Bad ideas lead to good ideas. No ideas lead to nothing. So clearly murder's off the table here. But what if we do, what if we identified their top salespeople and went out and poached them? Yeah. Went out and offered them $30,000 more a $10,000 bonus. Help drive sales, whatever. And same effect. Same effect. And... Would we have gotten to that point if he hadn't had that, came out with that idea? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it got us there quicker. But I was I was real thankful for him for at least, because I, I tried to build up. You can say anything you want to. You won't be, oh, we'll have a laugh over this, but it's not going to come back and bite you in well, any which way. Often that radical statement, that radical idea, as you say, does lead to something different that is a better solution. Good leaders have a lot of bad ideas. I mentioned earlier <laughs> self-censoring. It might be organizational censoring. But, you know, you, get, you do get the idea that it is the process of thinking through and identifying a variety of things that you can do that then leads to that knockout punch of yeah, new product, new program, new idea, new direction, you know, ca call it what you will, uh, where the leader is facilitating that process. I've always thought that if, if you've got to, somebody's got a, it's an idea and you feel it, this might work. Well, as I write in the book, just keep yes and it. Just keep peeling that onion back. See how far you can drill down to. And then, you know what? Maybe it's that 20th iteration. It's boom. Well, that's right. And going back to your, your, your comment from the book, one of the things I always enjoyed when we worked together was the concept of yes and rather than but. Everybody immediately goes to but. Right. And it's. But that won't work because regardless of what the words are, that is what the hidden meaning is. Where the yes and as the amplification um, really does take things down a different road and, and get people more in, engaged and involved that I think really is positive. Yeah. I, and I just, I just got an email yesterday from a, a, a CPA who's a, a partner in a regional firm and thanked me for, you know, exposing, bringing out yes and to him years ago, as well as keeping it firm because they've adopted that philosophy in their meetings. And it says it works. It just, it, it, everybody leaves a little bit more positive. We may not have agreed, but at least we've entertained the idea yeah. and haven't shut somebody down by going yes, but, or uh, no, because. And, and, that, and that's where the effective leader is willing to, is committed to facilitating the dialogue. Not the, I have the idea, it's the be-all and end-all, we're going to do it exactly as I have outlined. And again, product modification, new product coming to the table, new service de development, 
new program, whatever it is, yeah, where they have the attitude of, I have the answer and this is what we're going to do in these rigid walls, that's not effective leadership. And yet to some people, that is what they look for in a leader. And it's the leader themselves as often as not is, I'm a strong leader, look where we've gone, and it's because of my dictatorial approach. Mm-hmm. They won't say dictatorial, mm-hmm. but anybody that knows them says, yeah, he's a total dictator, right. or she is a total dictator. Uh, whereas the being willing to facilitate the conversation, the dialogue, and the product iteration as you go along really is critical to success um, in effective leadership. Yeah. yeah. I've had uh, an, any number of friends and colleagues and people that I have worked with and, and observed um, who think of themselves as a strong leader, want to be thought of as a strong leader, uh, and my reaction observing them is... They're just doing what they want, and nobody they nobody is willing to stand up to them, or they don't want anybody to stand, stand up, up to them. them. Right. And say, great idea, and maybe it would be better if we did this. Mm-hmm. Um that's a that's a challenge that organizations face. It's a challenge that leaders face. Yeah, you want to be thought of as having strong convictions, or most leaders want to be thought of as having strong convictions. Uh, but there are some who want it to be, I have strong convictions and nobody's going to challenge me. Right, and I've always said great leaders can park their ego yeah. when needed because we all have egos, but there's times that we just need to park it, listen, move forward, and, you know, it, it might not be my idea, but we're going to make it our idea. Um, I look at that that strong leader who, I didn't do this, hey, it's on my team, we did something great. But when we screwed up, it was my fault. Yes. And that the span of leadership from manager to CEO to chair, whatever it is in there, um, accepting that measure of responsibility and not assigning blame to somebody down the road or down the line is critical. Yeah, it is. Let's uh, we'll start to begin to wrap this up a bit. But before we do that, I want to get your vision on trends and concerns that you see out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there are a variety. And since I've retired and I've been in a number of volunteer roles, I obviously observe other leaders. Um, I get to spend a little bit of my time uh, thinking and and observing leaders in a national stage Mm -hmm. and everything else. Uh, In many respects, one of the biggest things that I have observed or am observing um, lately is uh, timidity of leadership. Timidity. Timidity. A a avoid controversy at all costs. Let's not take a risk. Right. Um, Let's not do that now. Who are we going to offend? Um, What's the media reaction going to be? 
as the drivers rather than is this a good idea? Does it make sense for the organization? Will we be stronger as a result? Will we be more profitable? You know, choose whatever it is. Um, a, a timidity of leadership. Now I'm going to expand that because there I'm talking about the CEO mm-hmm. primarily. Um, a, as I look at some of the boards I have worked with of late, the same thing applies to board members. The They're sitting there um, where the CEO, let's say, is being a strong CEO and saying we ought to go down this road. Uh, they don't have the strength of conviction to say, I don't know that that's the right idea. Let's talk about that some more. I think we ought to table this. Um, so it, it's multidimensional in terms of timidity of leadership that, that I see out there. Mm. Uh, the other thing that I do observe is a, um, particularly in the volunteer environment, we're not necessarily getting the strongest people that are volunteering to step into organizations um, and be leaders. Well, I, how do you get these people then? How, how do you get the strongest leaders within the, within the organization, within the profession to step tough up? It, a very difficult issue. Part of it goes to what's the culture that's been established, and are we, in fact, open? Um, I spend a fair, always spend a fair amount of, of my time um, trying to cultivate leaders, getting, talking to people about, would you serve mm-hmm. on this committee? You know, would you be interested in, in being a candidate to go on the board? And I'm not just talking about uh, my my paid life inside the Ohio Society of CPAs, and my volunteer life in a variety of organizations, encouraging people to volunteer in, inside their organization for a whole variety of different reasons. And that's one that, um, as as a, what I like to be thought of as a, as a leader. I wanted to cultivate that interest and commitment to serve in, in others, and particularly if you think they have the capacity to be effective. So that's a, a, an issue of leadership identification, leadership encouragement. Um, inside professional organizations, that often means talking to senior leaders inside of firms, CPA firms, uh, law firms, uh, and others saying, I hope you will encourage Mary or Joan or Bob to to volunteer, or if they say they're interested, I hope you'll encourage and support their their involvement, because we really do need um, to bring more more people into leadership. I've been involved in one board that has some board members that have been there for ages. Mm-hmm. But the advantage is there's also a fairly robust uh, cycle of people either leaving um, and being replaced with new blood um, or decision made we're going to add additional seats to the board to bring in certain people who are going to bring us different perspectives. Uh, so I, I think that really is important as we look around the, the landscape. Um, the other thing that, and this will to, to some degree be a political commentary, uh, but as a society, we seem to have moved to, uh, we're going to say whomever is the loudest is a good leader. And I'm not just talking about <laughs> uh, 
the the Republican presidential clown car that we've started with uh, that has narrowed down. Um, but in lots of different environments, whether you talk about the state legislature, where you, whether you talk about uh, local government, it's who's loudest. Uh, and our news cycles are such that who's loudest is going to get the microphone and camera shoved right. in their face so they get the FaceTime and build identity, and people are saying, oh, they must be effective, when they're really not effective as as leaders. Um, but that in today's environment, often who's loudest. Then the final thing I'll talk about in terms of trends is the entire rise and power of social media. Yeah. Yeah, it <laughs> it used to be when people came together and the radical firebrand stood up and spewed whatever they had to say, people would be able to look at them and say, well, he or she's a blooming idiot mm -hmm. uh, and discount what they says in social media. Uh people are able to build a following with some really bizarre ideas. But they've built a following. Right. Um, and you get some people that build that following simply because they're controversial or whatever, and we lose sight of how they got to, to be viewed from a comical alternative to somebody that has a platform and, oh, now I need to listen to, and maybe I need to repeat, and maybe I need to forward or share what they have to say when, again, if you saw him in person, you'd say, what a blooming idiot. <laughs> and that, as a trend, yeah. that's one that, that really is growing uh, and, to some, I know, very concerning. The social media, there's a very good side to it, but there's also a very dark side to it. Absolutely. Uh, and the ability to get followings and, you know, a political, non-political within an organization um, that dark side is very, very concerning. Absolutely. And there are people, one, another advantage to it is people who just don't have the, the, the strength and self-confidence to speak up in a live environment, but should be heard. Their ideas should be heard. Social media gives them an opportunity to be heard. Mm -hmm. So there's this filter and everybody has a different filter that they pass through things through. The person that I might think is a blooming idiot, you might think has great insights mm -hmm. and has great ideas. So, I mean, we all pass things through our own respective filters. Right. I guess in most cases, we should have the respect of somebody else's opinion, knowing that it's different and not going after an attack versus some opinions, radical as they are, in, in, in the worldview, um, yeah, it shouldn't be agreed upon. We, we need, we need to yeah. stop stop that. Uh, um, you know, ISIS being the obviously the top thing. Sure. Thinking, thinking about that. Well, I think for now we pretty much, but exhausted. The, uh, someone on the topic of leadership. Yeah. I know you and I could sit here for two hours. Absolutely more. Uh, yeah, more than that. Uh, but I, I, I want to wrap this up with uh, doing my rapid-fire 10 quick questions piece here okay. for you. And the first question, Merlot or Pinot Noir? Pinot. Titleist or Nike? Titleist. What's your favorite movie? 
My favorite movie. Oh, I'm a real movie junkie. Um, I'm going to go way back. 1964, The Great Race. Oh, wow. Wow. What's your favorite city to visit? San Francisco. San Francisco. You'll like this one. Acme Oyster House or Mr. B's Bistro? (laughs) Acme. I knew that one. What's your favorite steakhouse? The Pine Club. In Dayton. In Dayton, Ohio. And the reason why I've brought in a lot of the, the food references is Clark knows all the best restaurants around the country. If I'm ever in a city and he happens to see my post, whatever, he'll usually send me, hey, check out this restaurant. It's wonderful. And I've yet to have a bad reference from you. So thank you for all of that. A downside and, and simultaneous benefit um, of all the traveling I did and a lot of good friends that uh, I enjoyed a lot of good meals with over the years, including you. Thank you. And and I, I do enjoy the Pine Club. And I, I, you know, it's, it's, I don't think of it as often as I should, but actually it, it takes, it throws you back to the sixties if I, if I remember oh, correctly. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I've said that I wanted to take my mother there. Well, she hasn't been able to visit, but she's coming for a month, and I'm going to take her down to the Pine Club. Thank you for reminding me of the it's Pine Club. great place. Can't make a reservation, though, but it's a great place. Uh, favorite golf course? Uh, just because it's so different, uh, the Pete Dye Club in West Virginia. Where's that located? Clarksburg. Clarksburg. Okay. Jason Day or Greg Norman? Jason Day. Jason Day. <laughs> David Faraday or Johnny Miller? <laughs> that one's very, very simple. Uh, Faraday, I can't stand Johnny Miller. <laughs> and what's one thing on your bucket list that you have yet to accomplish or yet to do? I pause because there are so many things that are on my bucket list. But as I mentally process, I really do draw lines through them that I've either, either done it or now don't really want to. Um, incredibly simple. Uh, spend more time as a volunteer for organizations that are making a difference. I have a good friend, um, former CEO of an association who's become incredibly active in Boston in a homeless veterans organization. Uh, I'm a vet. I have great feeling in my heart for vets. Mm -hmm. I think something like that. Um, Organizations that are serving a, a social purpose. And for me, I need to commit to spending more time sharing what little leadership skill I have with those kinds of organizations. Uh, That by far is going to be one of the best answers that I've had to that question. And it just goes to the nature and character of you, uh, Clark. Uh, I, once again, I I got to spend 50 minutes, an hour with my mentor, having a conversation. uh, And it goes back, I've always enjoyed our conversations. They've always been thought provoking. And I once again, can't begin to thank you enough for taking time out of your day uh, to spend with me and having a conversation as it relates to leadership. So thank you very much, Clark. We look forward to doing it again. I do too. Thank you. 
I so enjoyed my conversations with Clark, and he gave us a ton of nuggets of wisdom as it relates to leadership. So much so that you could listen to this interview a number of times, or you can go to my website, petermargaritas.com, and click on the podcast logo where you can find this episode and download the transcript. As you're listening to Clark, I'm sure you picked up on some of the improvisation principles like listen and respect, just to name a few. Think back to all the times Clark referred to in some way about listening to his membership and his staff. Listening to understand takes practice every day so that we can avoid listening to respond, therefore not hearing what the other person's wants and needs are, not being connected. As a leader, we are constantly building relationships. And Clark's interview, along with Tom Yorton's article, Three Improv Exercises That Can Change the Way Your Team Works, are very closely aligned. If you like this episode, please go to iTunes and write a review on my podcast. I'm always trying to learn, grow, and become better at everything that I can do, and your feedback is important to me. And don't forget to sign up for the Yes And Challenge on my website at petermargaritas.com. Thank you again for taking time to listen to this podcast. I really value every audience member. In episode two, I interview author Mike Scorantino, who wrote the wonderful book titled Gratitude Marketing. I look forward to seeing you then. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.